Give it up for the band leading us in worship. We've been covering a series called The Giver uh, for the last six weeks. This is week seven, and we kind of finished up our Abrahamic portion, and now we're going to be moving into our Christmas season. And so last several weeks, we've gone theological, we've dug deep, we've, we've drank from the marrow, and now we're going to be going into some philosophical uh, portions of the giver. Whenever we think about God the giver, man, uh, during this Christmas season, right, there's nothing better than the fact that God is willing to give us his only son. And today, as we consider um, what Christianity is all about, I hope that we would look and we would ask ourselves this question, right? That what is, what is church all about? And before you answer that question, all right, before you answer that question, I want you to think like this. Do, does your experience in a religion inform you as to what the church is supposed to be about? Or have you read the story, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and have you observed what Jesus is about and then made your Christianity about what Jesus was about? Because I think sometimes there's a divide between what religion is about and what Jesus was about. And so I'm gonna to try to make my case here this morning and I hope that I can challenge you and I can encourage you through this. Um, our family watched a, a movie this week that's one of the new ones. Um, it's called Spirited. Has anybody seen this one? It's a kind of a musical. It's a take on uh, Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. And uh, in it, Ryan Reynolds' character is, is called Unredeemable. Right. As a matter of fact, they were looking for every year they have a, a haunt and they try to redeem someone and they wanted to pick this other person. But uh, Will Ferrell's character, um, he, he's like, no, I want this guy. I just something in me tells me it's like, but he's marked unredeemable. And like if you're marked unredeemable, you just pass on, you just pass those people by. And so today we're going to watch a little clip of their exchange, and then I hope that I can preach to you that we could be about redeeming the unredeemable. Can we watch this together? It's still Christmas. There's still time. I'll go back, and, and we'll figure something out, and, and, and you'll change. People don't change. jumped in front of a bus to save someone you care about. <laughs> My bro. Your bro. It was just a reflex. I did We Did I? Are you sure? We've been doing this a long time, Mr. Briggs. 
We're quite sure. We're quite sure. Man, I don't know um, how you found Genesis Metro Church. I don't know why you came this morning. But what's amazing is, is that we are a church full of people that at some juncture, apart from Christ, were unredeemable. And then by the grace of God, we have been redeemed. As a matter of fact, there's an interesting tension that has to exist inside the church. Have y'all ever considered that? Like if, if you wanted a sanitized church where nothing is ever going on, where there's no sin, there's no people that are falling, falling away, falling into things, doing terrible things or saying terrible things. If you wanted a sanitized version of religion, then when you come into church, there wouldn't be this tension of lost people coming to know Jesus. So necessarily so, there has to be this tension between those that have been saved and those that are in the process of becoming saved. And there's a nexus point where those two worlds meet. As a matter of fact, last week we had our giving gala and I thought this, this photo kind of represents kind of where we're at, right? It's like, you have to have sinners and saints, right? And so um, I'm just kidding. Uh, Matt probably lives a cleaner life than I do. Um, that's not true. But anyway, we want, you can take it down, okay? It's been up there long enough. Um, but we wanted to, we wanted to, I wanted to show that this morning to, to just know that, hey, our church is authentic. There's people that look all kinds of different ways, come from all different types of background, but we're all we're all sinners in need of a savior. And so I hope today that I can make this argument and we're going to be looking at two verses and then we're going to compile four opportunities. And I've entitled the message, The Chance to Change. When we talk about God the giver, God is constantly giving us the chance to change. And we're going to look at four types of change that I think we can all agree upon. And then it's going to challenge, it's going to, it's going to push some of us inside of our comfort zones of what we have tried to make Christianity. But in Luke chapter 15, we're going to read verses one and two. It says that the sinners and the tax collectors were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Now, what were the Pharisees doing? If there's, if there's one group of people that I hate, okay? I just want you to know this. I hate, and I know, I know you say, oh, Tim, you shouldn't hate. No, no, just give it a minute, give it a minute. It's not based upon like how people look. It's not based upon, you know, whether they're a gym, whether they have money, whatever, background. I don't care about any of that, but you know what I care about? I care about Pharisees because Jesus couldn't stand the Pharisees. I feel like that gives me license to not like the Pharisees. And you say, what is a Pharisee? Some of you sitting in here, if you don't even know what a Pharisee is, congratulations, you are probably not one because the Pharisees know who they are, all right? They're the people that sit in the ivory towers of their rightness and they believe that all the other people that sin are less thans. And so then church is an exercise in obtaining information to lift myself up, to make myself feel even more superior than the people that are around me, okay? That's what a Pharisee is, working definition. It says, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the people that should have known what Jesus was about, should have known that he was the savior of the world. It says that they were muttering, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Man, I'm going to tell you, if 
You're a leader in here. You testify by saying amen or just by raising your hand. If you lead a team that has more, more than six people, if you get to 10, 100%, you're going to have at least two mutterers. Can I get an amen? Can I get an amen? Do you know who they are? You got a picture of them in your mind. If you don't know any other mutterer on your team, And when we think about that, there's no perfect place. There's no utopia. And so if we are constantly looking through a critical eye, it's like, how could you ever be content if you're constantly critical? Imagine that when you come into church. Imagine if, if our goal was that everyone in here every Sunday would be pleased. Think about that. Last week, I'll give you a perfect example, working example. I was freezing cold. And a lot of times it is cold in here by show of hands. Does anybody think it's cold in here? Yeah. Now, people do not fall asleep when it's cold. If we make it warm in here, then you will be upset. I got home and I was like, told my wife, I was freezing while I was on that sta stage. Now, my, my wife is on the hormonal journey and <laughs> she looked at me without batting an eye and she said, really? She goes, I was warm. I thought it was warm in there. I, I don't even know what we're all experiencing, but listen, Goldilocks, there's not a perfect church. Some of you in here, I guarantee you, some of you walk in. I know it, I know it. You're like, that music is too loud, right? And if we turn it down, there'll be some people walking around, that music is boring. And like every now and then we'll have someone walk in, this music is just right. All right, listen, listen. Listen, it's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's about trying to reach people. And I guarantee you, if you don't like the way we're doing it, maybe you should serve because you're probably not doing anything. Bam! <laughs> All right, this is going to be a fun one, by the way. Um, so here is Jesus who has come to this earth to save people. And in our clip, this guy was unredeemable. And I wanted to preach a whole message where we look at what Jesus said about how we should interact as the church. And so I hope today that you will, you'll listen attentively and then you will ask yourself reflectively, what is, what is your heart's desire? Are you about the things that Jesus was about? Is your Christianity acting out what Jesus said you're supposed to be about? And if not then have the humility to make the adjustment. So this question, this muttering goes on. If he's, if he's so God, if he's so righteous, if he's such a teacher, then why in the world would he hang out with sinners? I mean, that's just, it seems like that should be beneath him. And as a matter of fact, in another place, it says that Jesus was eating and drinking with sinners, right? And at our giving gala, we had beer and wine. And some might ask, why? Because we know our sheep. That's why. That's why. I mean, that's why. In the first service, I got an amen on that. Nothing. Nothing on anything else. And so um, I just... 
want you to begin to see that at some juncture, we're trying to create this nexus where authenticity meets Christianity, and we're trying to evolve into the picture of Christ after coming to know him in a personal relationship, but that's quite the process, and I'm going to try to destroy some preconceptions that some might have about what true Christianity looks like. So let's get into it. It says that Jesus answered with three stories of lost things. We're going to look at two of those three, and then we're going to look at two other examples, one in John chapter 8 and one in Luke chapter 10. And I'm just going to tell it in story format because um, we don't have time to read all the verses. And so the first story that Jesus tells, and it's interesting, right? So the, the muttering is, why is he hanging out with sinners? Jesus' response is, there were three things that were lost. And in all three stories, he's trying to find the thing that was lost. Jesus has gone on record saying that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. So the first one is the parable of the lost sheep. It says there was a shepherd and he had a hundred sheep and 99 of them were safe. But then there's always that one. And those of you that have multiple children, there's always that one. And the sheep wandered off and the shepherd has to do some calculating, all right? Calculating, like what is the value of that sheep? And so it says he takes the 99 to an open place, a safe place, and then he leaves the 99 to go after the one. First point today, we have the chance to change our priorities, right? We have the chance to change our priorities. It says that he now has to make a decision Am I going to prioritize the ones that are safe or am I going to go after the one that's lost, the one that is in danger? And after he does a risk assessment, he determines that the value of that one is worth it. And he leaves the 99 and he goes and he finds that one lost sheep. It says when he brings it home, they all rejoice because that sheep was lost and now it's found. Now, for all my Pharisees sitting in the room today, you might be tempted to say, well, it shouldn't have wandered off. It shouldn't have wandered off. It shouldn't have wandered off. I hear you. I hear you. And I would say to you, well, you shouldn't have wandered off. You shouldn't have wandered off. Like you say, who is he preaching to you? I say, I'm preaching to you, fool. That's who I'm preaching to. If you're wondering, like, let me tell you, it's you. I am preaching to you. Whenever I think about that lost sheep, I wonder, do you realize at some juncture that it was you? Like at some juncture it was you. That it was as if there was no other person on the planet. That God said, I value one person, you, enough. That he came to seek and to find you when you had wandered in your sin far from home. And he's willing to leave all the ones that are safe just to find you. That should take something and change something in your heart that God cares. That he sees you when you feel exposed, when you feel alone, when the, the predators are constantly closing in on the sheep that has been separated. And here comes the shepherd to save the day. I bet many of us can think of some moments where we needed Jesus to step in. We needed Jesus to save us. If he is willing to prioritize the one that was lost, then shouldn't that inform us about how we should approach 
our Christianity? Shouldn't there be some emphasis in our lives that if God was willing to come after us, that we would at least have our eyes open to opportunities to share the gospel with other people, to share an invitation? We're going to have five experiences on Friday and Saturday, two on Friday, three on Saturday. And who are you inviting? Like, you could be Billy Graham this week. All you got to do is ask somebody. I promise you, you ask three people, two will come with you. And this is going to be a life-changing night. I promise you that. And so I want to encourage you, extend the invite. It's so simple. Technology almost does all the work for you today. You literally can just post it, toot, 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 And someone of your friends is like, oh, you know what? We haven't been to church in a while. Oh, you know what? Christmas, we'll go. Like, even people that don't go to church ever will show up for Christmas. And so who are you inviting? Do you prioritize the lost sheep? Are you reciprocal in your hunt for those that have yet to be redeemed? And so then I want us to take a jaunt over and I want us to look at our perception, a chance to change our perception. In Luke chapter 10, there was another discussion that was going on. And this one has to do with the parable of the Good Samaritan. Do you guys remember this one? There was a discussion and there was a religious leader, a Pharisee. And he was like, what must I do, Jesus? <laughs> I always have to talk in like my snobby voice. That's it. Like, I, like, I feel like I have locks of hair. <laughs> what must I do, Jesus, to have eternal life? And he was like, love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. He goes, oh, since I was a youth, I have done that. And he goes, okay, one more thing, like love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this is where it gets very interesting, all right? Because I think a lot of religion, a lot of, you know, we'll call them quote unquote Christians, they have a vertical appreciation for God without any horizontal application. So when it says, love the Lord, your God, he's like, I'm good. I'm good with God. And he said, then love your neighbor as yourself. And this guy wants to push Jesus. I'm going to tell you if there's one person you don't want to push, like, do you, does anybody in here have a spouse or children or an employee that every discussion, they just want to push it a little bit further? Does anybody? Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Like, it's like, you know, everyone else in the room, like read the room, knows where the line is. And they are like, yeah. And like always, 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 you know, someone like this. And this, <laughs> this legalistic, snob, jerk, pious punk, he was like, and who is my neighbor, Jesus? Who, tell me, tell me who it is. And he thinks like, he's asked, have you ever known someone trying to ask a question where they think that they're going to be smart by what they ask? And like, you're an idiot, bro. Like, don't argue with God. God's going to win that one every single time, right? And so he's like, okay. And Jesus, like, anytime someone starts answering your question with a story, I'm going to tell you, you're losing, all right? You're losing. And Jesus is sitting there, okay, you want to know who your neighbor is? Okay, okay, let's play this game. He's like, there's this guy. And he was on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho. And along the way, he was beaten and robbed and left half dead 
wallowing around in the street. You can hear him like, oh, ooh. it's like I sound every morning right now when I wake up, right? You just make noises. Eventually you get that old. Anyway, and so this guy is rolling around in the street and it says there was a priest. Now, when we hear priest, right, instantly we think, holy man, man of God. All right. He's connected. So he, because of his connection, he's going to be able to see it, right? Because he has vertical affection, because he has vertical appreciation. Surely this is going to work out horizontally. He says that he passed right on by, passed right on by. So then it was a Levite. And if we want to go in the holy scale, a holier than the priest, you know, even closer man of God. And the Levite saw this guy. He's obviously beaten. He's obviously, let's say, half dead. He's sitting there, blood, stuff, crying out. And it says that he passed right on by. Didn't even stop and say, are you okay? And then it says there was a Samaritan. Now, you have to know a little bit about what a Samaritan is in order for this to make sense. So the Jewish nation was conquered and there was this group called the Assyrians and they mixed in with the Jewish people and they created this race called the Samaritans. And they were, they have, they were a tribe without a home now, right? Because they didn't belong to the Jews, they didn't belong to the Assyrians. So they were castigated as a people. Matter of fact, there's even a question is like, can any you know, good thing come out of Samaria? And so Jesus introduces a third character. There's been a priest and the Pharisees knew exactly who that was. And that's their team. It's like, yeah, a priest. And it's like, oh, it didn't stop. Okay. Oh, maybe a Levite. Oh, Levite. And it's like, no, no, not a Levite. And then like, he says, and then there was a Samaritan. As soon as he said it, before he even got to what the Samaritan did, Samaritan, they're like, a Samaritan? Samaritan? What is a Samaritan going to do? Samaritan never done anything good. He says, the Samaritan stopped and he went over to him immediately. He said, he helped him. He bandaged his wounds and then he sat him on his own donkey. So now instead of getting to ride, he's having to walk. Some of you would never do that. And then he led this donkey all the way to the hotel and he tells the keeper of the hotel, no matter what the cost is, as he recovers, you can put it on my tab. And when I return, I will pay it. I was like, what? Now, it seems to me that Jesus pivots back to the guy. And he's like, so uh, who do you think the neighbor was? Huh? Huh? Was it, was it the priests? No. Was it uh, mm, a Levite? No. Or was it the Samaritan? Now, do you think this guy wants to say Samaritan out of his lips? Like, do you think? Like, does anybody? Like, no, no. But Jesus, I love him so much. He's forced him, right? Trapped him. It's like, you want to play games with me? You want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. Anyway, I digress. He's like, well, I, I guess, uh, I guess it was the one who showed mercy. He's like, yeah, the Samaritan. Mm. So in the story, the Samaritan's a pagan. 
So is Jesus preaching a sermon saying you can learn a lot from a pagan? That even when a pagan does the right thing, that's the right thing? That people could sit in church and just pass on by people that are beaten and broken on a daily basis and because they say, I'm good with God, that that makes them good? Or is it possible, is, well, wait, is it possible that there are some people in here that probably don't live the cleanest life. Some of the words that come out of their mouth, they would probably not say them in church. They probably do some things that are shady, but it's amazing how they help people on a regular basis. But there's some godly people in here that you're so incredibly godly. I guess you go home, you read your Bible, but you never do anything to serve other people. You are not the hands and feet of Jesus. You are not influential for the kingdom of God. And so you tell me, which one? Which one? Which one is better? I'll take the sinners every day of the week. I'll take the sinners every day of the week because at least they're trying to help someone else find the truth. Man, I hope today that maybe there's someone sitting here and you need to ask yourself, like, am I, am I about a cause or am I about the kingdom? Because everybody has a cause today. But Christianity, it's not a cause. Genesis Metro, not a cause. We're trying to build the kingdom. The kingdom is constructed out of the souls of men. Souls that last for eternity. And so oftentimes I think we're just passing on by. Just passing people that we could have had an influence with. You see, for the Samaritan, it became personal, didn't it? When he saw that guy, he interacted, and as soon as he interacted, it was personal. If we have a Christianity where we don't desire to have personal relationships with people that are far from God, people that are in the process, just like we were at one time, then shame on us. That's not Christianity. That's religion. We'll go on to John chapter 8. There was the woman caught in adultery. Does anybody remember this story? There were this group of Pharisees and they were so determined to try to catch Jesus that they wanted to put him in a situation. And what I love that the subterfuge of this, this sentiment was, was kind of palpable in that they knew Jesus was likely to be merciful and they thought that was his weakness. Oh, I just love it. That they, they already knew so much about Jesus before they brought the lady. Oh, it's just so great. Anyway, they bring this woman that's caught in adultery. Now, under Hebrew law, technically speaking, they didn't even do this right because you're supposed to bring the man and the woman, but they only bring the woman. And it's almost like 2,000 years have gone by since then, but there is like this double standard. It's kind of odd, isn't it, in our culture that like men can sleep around, we'll use a Bible word, fornicate, and like they high-five each other at the office. But if women do the same thing, then they're, you know, called a person um, of ill repute. And so neither are actually right. It's just interesting how uh, there's societal things that have been a double standard for thousands of years. And so anyway, um, I digress. Um, so anyway, we, we find this woman, she's, she's brought, and 
this crowd, this bloodthirsty crowd with rocks in hand, they say, the law says that you are to stone her. And I don't know if you've ever thought about that. I personally, I don't think I have this, I don't think I have this in me. I, I, I just, I think that like I can inflict uh, verbal pain on people out of sarcasm. I feel like that's my gift. Um, but to inflict physical pain on someone where it's injurious, I think I, I, that part of me, I don't have. Um, and I'm just imagining this crowd just sitting there with these stones in their hand. They throw this woman in the dirt and they say, the law says, and it's almost like we get to, right? We get to stoner. What do you say, Jesus? What do you say, Jesus? And I'm going to give you a leadership lesson that will last you for the rest of your life right here. All right. Imagine this crowd that's palpable, the anger, there's a frenzy. And what does Jesus do? Does he respond? This is where you got to be careful. People come to you and their emotions become your emotions and you get gassed up by them. And the next thing you know, you're mad at someone. You weren't even there. You don't even know what happened. Jesus bends down and he starts riding in the dirt. Like, I am not going to satisfy your frenzy. I am not going to feed the frenzy. Everybody, we're going to say it out loud. Don't feed the frenzy. One, two, three. Don't feed the frenzy. Some of you are married to someone who is a frenzy person. Don't feed it. Some of you have children that come up like, don't feed it. You work with people when they are going crazy, when everybody's yelling fire, fire, and everybody's like, ah, how does it help if you feed the frenzy? How, who is benefited by that? Jesus bends down, starts drawing in the dirt. And some say he was drawing the names of the people that had also committed adultery. Some speculate. And you know what? It doesn't matter what he was writing. You know what the great thing is? He was like, I'll answer you when I'm ready. And if some of you would just take the time to think through what you're going to say before you say it, I bet you could think of a hundred times where you wish you had that lesson. And finally, Jesus stands up. He's like, okay. Let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And it says from the oldest to the youngest. Now, why? The oldest figured it out quick. The oldest was like, oh, he got me. Jesus. Oh. And they throw the rock down. You can imagine the sound that day. I bet it was more pronounced for the woman who was about to be stoned to death. Every stone that struck the ground, right? It's like it echoes. And then the youngest is still sitting there. And you know when you're young and dumb? Anybody? And like, you, you've already committed to your emotion. You've already committed to your position. And now you're just unwilling, even though you know you're wrong. And you know you're just sitting there like, you know, they're flexing. You know, like we see these idiots on Wednesday nights, the junior high kids, they constantly like, like do like that to each other. Like during worship, I saw it at camp this summer. It's like the guy was like, oh my, man. That I can do. 
It says the youngest one finally dropped his stone. This woman looks up and Jesus says, where are your accusers? She's like, they're all gone. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. The chance to change your path. Jesus is not condoning the adultery, but he's certainly not condemning her. I don't know if you've ever been caught. There's only two types of people in here. Those that have been caught and those that have not been caught. You're saying, Tim, are you saying I committed adultery? I've never committed. Bro, chill. I'm sure you've done worse. Everyone in here has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if you don't hear anything else, you hear this. No one in here is qualified to put someone in the category of unredeemable. The Bible says, judge not lest you be judged. And some people abuse that. That doesn't mean you can't say someone's wrong. If my child lies, I said, the Bible says thou shalt not lie. And they get in trouble. They get a consequence. You can judge that all day long. He's saying that you can't put someone in the category of unredeemable. That's not your job. I would hate it if some of you were my Jesus. Because when I was down and when I made mistakes and when there wasn't any Christians coming to rescue me, when lost people were more Jesus to me than Christians were in that moment, I'm gonna tell you, I've seen both sides of that coin. And I know what it's like to be loved by lost people more than the ones that supposedly know Jesus inside the church. He's saying there's a chance here. There's a chance to change your path. There's a chance to be redeemed even though the world has called you unredeemable. I'm standing here, the only one worthy to judge, and I do not hold a stone in my hand. Where are your accusers this morning? I don't care what they've labeled you. You are redeemable. He's not condoning what you've done, but if you would receive it this morning, he's not condemning you. It's the chance to change. The last one in Luke chapter 15, and we'll close with this, is probably the most beautiful painted picture of all the parables. And it's the parable of the prodigal son. And everyone in here knows the story of the prodigal son. Even people that don't go to church have heard like, oh, they're just being a prodigal. And they just know it generally means that they've walked away, right? Uh, we could call him a jack wagon. And, um, and in this story, this father um, this youngest son, always the youngest, they get babied. Oh, you little baby, it's a baby. Oh, you get everything. Anyway, um, you know, um, he comes to his father and he's like, I want my inheritance, I want it now. If that isn't the picture of selfishness, and that in the picture of today's generation, today's culture, I want it, I want it now. Don't want to work for it, don't want to wait for it, just want it now. Anyway, he gives him what he thinks he wants. And sometimes, by the way, be careful what you ask for from God. Sometimes he'll answer a prayer, and it's not a blessing. He gives him exactly what he wants, and it goes off. And, dude, think about the prodigal that you have to, like, admire or at least observe 
is that he's a hundred percenter. Like he goes out and he ties one on. I mean, it's a rager. I mean, a great time is had. And unfortunately, we all have that one friend. Does everybody know what I'm talking about? It's not going to be like a chill night, right? It's going to be like, we are going to have some fun tonight. Line them up. Whoa, knock them back, knock them back. Anyway, it's I mean, it was, it was that kind of night. It was that kind of night. And man, I bet, the st I bet they had so much fun for a little while. And then homie woke up and he was eating food out of a trash can. Can you imagine? I almost brought a trash can today and I was going to have some wings in it and I was going to like grab one out and I just start gnawing on it. And he realized, he has this revelation. It's like, man, I have blown it. I have, I have wasted everything that my father worked for. And I'm not even worthy to go back and be a son. But I would rather go back and ask to be a slave than to keep doing what I'm doing. To keep digging my ditch even deeper. And he got up and he started walking back home. And you know Anyone in here, there's the time between when you've done it and when your parents are going to find out and all you do is kind of keep telling yourself a story that's going to try to work it out, right? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like if you have siblings, you've got to have like roles, right? You're like, okay, you were doing this, you were doing this, and then something accidentally happened and that's how it got broken. We didn't do it. I mean, really, it broke itself. I mean, when you, when you step back and look at it, Homie's having to walk all the way back to his father's house with no shoes on. And he's sitting there thinking about it all the way back there, playing it over and over in his head. Just like some of you sitting here every Sunday and all you do is sit there and replay your worst mistake over and over again, even though God has already forgiven it, God has already forgotten about it, but you keep bringing it up to yourself. And it says when he was a long ways off, guess what? The father was out there on the porch and he saw the silhouette. Can you imagine how many times that father had walked out there waiting for his son to come home? Oh, if you've ever been estranged from a child, you would do anything. You would do anything to have them back, to have them whole, to have them healed says he saw his son and he did not wait. The father went running, running. And he put his arms around his son. And the son was just like Ryan Ray. He's like, did you notice like he was like, I, I'm not even, I'm not sure. Like I'm not, wait, I'm not sure I've even changed. I'm not even sure I've been redeemed. And the father, while he's trying to make it, he says, dad, I know I made it. I'm not even worthy to be your son. I, I'm not asking for that. I know I can't ask for that. I know I can be forgiven. But can I just be a servant? And his dad pushes right past all the excuses, 
throws the biggest hug on his son's neck. And then he looks at the other servants. He says, bring a pair of shoes and put on my son's feet. Bring out a robe to put on his cold shoulders. And lastly, bring out the ring because he's part of the family. This my son was lost and now he's found. This my son was dead and now he's alive. And they all began to rejoice. Man, the chance to change the portraits If I took the picture when you were at your lowest, how sad, how sad would that picture be? But by the grace of God, he is the giver and he gives you a chance to change your portrait this morning if you would but get up and decide to humble yourself, go back home, receive a blessing that you didn't earn, that you didn't deserve, And when you receive it, you live out of gratitude in servitude for the rest of your life. That's what Jesus was about. And I hope that's what you're about. And if you're not, I encourage you this morning, your Christianity, it needs to change. It needs to change. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. But don't forget, You can't be right with God and not love the people around you, not share with the people around you. You can't just keep walking by and it not be personal. You can't know they're out there lost and be indifferent because you got the 99 that are safe. At some juncture, we got to love people because God loved people and they're worth any price any price that we would have to pay. Let's pray. Father, we ask in the name of Jesus, help us, God. Help us, God, today to quit muttering. May we praise you, God, that you're a God that welcomes sinners. God, I pray for those sitting in the room today that have followed religion and all they have is knowledge. But if they're honest and they do an assessment, they have no impact. God, that we would all be impact players. That they would realize that we've received grace. Now we must give it away. And the power of that grace is so powerful. I pray for all the people that have been hurt by some church somewhere along the way that said because you had a momentary lapse of judgment, that you had a momentary lapse of lifestyle, that you went down a road that you didn't anticipate going and it went further than you thought it would and somehow you ended up on the losing side of it and now you know what it's like to be out there all alone, castigated. I pray that you would know this is not that place. Do we have perfect people? No. Is it cold in here sometimes? Yes. Is the music too loud sometimes? Yes. But know what you won't find? You won't find that you ever walk through those doors that someone doesn't greet you with a smile and welcome you as though you were family, even though they don't know you. 
And even though you push back, just like the prodigal, and you say, no, 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 I don't know you. I'm not worthy. There must be some angle. I don't want to believe it. I can't receive it. I can't accept it. If you just give us a chance, I promise you we'll prove it, that we are all saved by grace. Would you guys stand? And if he found you when you were out there lost, man, if he stopped and helped you when you had been beaten and broken by life, if he gave you a chance to change your path, even when you didn't deserve it, if he's ever welcomed you back home when you have wandered far away, then isn't he worthy of our worship? Let's put our hands together and worship Jesus.